Welcome to Beekeeping Today podcast presented by Bee Culture. Beekeeping Today podcast is your source for beekeeping news, information, and entertainment. I'm Jeff Ott. And I'm Kim Flatham. Hey, Jeff and Kim. Today's sponsor is Global Patties. They're a family-operated business that manufactures protein supplement patties for honeybees. It's a good time to think about honeybee nutrition. Feeding your hives protein supplement patties will ensure that they produce strong and healthy colonies by increasing brood production and overall honey flow. Now is a great time to consider what type of patty is right for your area and your honeybees. Global offers a variety of standard patties as well as custom patties to meet your needs. No matter where you are, Global is ready to serve you out of their manufacturing plants in Airdrie, Alberta and in Butte, Montana or from distribution depots across the continent. Visit them today at www.globalpatties.com. Hey, everybody. Thanks for joining us. You know, each week we get to talk about how much we appreciate our sponsor support. They help make all of this happen and provide us the ability to bring you each episode. With that, thanks to Bee Culture Magazine for continuing their presenting sponsorship of this podcast. Bee Culture has been the magazine for American beekeeping since 1873. Subscribe to Bee Culture today. We also want to thank Two Million Blossoms as sponsor this episode. Two Million Blossoms is a quarterly magazine dedicated to protecting all pollinators. Learn more on our Season 2, Episode 9 podcast with editor Kirsten Trainer, and from visiting www.2millionblossoms.com and that is with a number 2. And also check out the new Two Million Blossoms, the podcast, also available from her website and from wherever you download and stream your podcast. Enough of business, Kim. Happy anniversary, buddy. Hey, three years down, th- how many more to go? Yeah, <laughs> starting our fourth. Maybe we'll, we'll see how we go. I've, I've yeah. been having a blast. Yeah, it's, it's been fun. It's uh, certainly a different way to look at, at uh, beekeeping education. And uh, coming from a magazine background and a research background, it's nice to have another thing, be able to add another aspect to uh what I'm doing here. Yeah, it's really, it's been a blast just being able to provide a little bit more information, different venue, different way of reaching out to people than uh, than than writing articles all and, the time. And look who we've been able to talk oh with. Oh my gosh. <laughs> the who's who of American and British and uh other countries That's beekeeping. Right. Yeah, we the podcast goes around the world. Last time I checked, there was like over 120 countries that are, our show's heard in. And, uh, of course, most predominantly here in North America. But uh, by every small small countries in Africa to the Far East to the Middle East, it's it's pretty amazing. It is. I'm, I'm, I am amazed. Yeah, it is. So... <laughs> Hello to everybody, and uh, thank you for joining us. We really appreciate it. You've made these four years, or three full years, starting our fourth, really special. Yep. Thanks, folks. Not only is it the beginning of our fourth year, Kim, it's also Pollinator Week. Um, but, um, drum roll, please. <laughs> well, Pollinator Week's special for us. I mean, it's special for all of us. It's special for the industry, but it's really, really exciting to uh, uh, to be a part of it in our way yes yep it is and and we've done um didn't we start on well we started on pollinator week our very first episode yep yep our very first episode with amber barnes from the pollinator partnership yes 
Yes, Amber, Amber was one of the people working uh, when I was at the root company in our backyard there. She had some experimental plots, and she'd stop by every once in a while. It was good to see her. I miss her, I miss, I miss her visits. Yeah. Well, the Pollinator Partnership uh, is, our, is our show today. Kelly Rourke and Miles Dakin will be on the show uh, here in just a little bit. Pollinator Week, folks, is, is, is your opportunity to help educate the general public about the importance of not only the honeybee, but all pollinators. In fact, Kim, the other day, I was at the store wearing my 2021 pollinator shirt, you know, the one with all the, the pictures of all the different pollinators on it. And someone stopped me in the store and says, oh, I like pollinators. And I'm standing there with stuff in my hands and they're, and they're standing there pointing at all the different insects and beetles and the bats and the hummingbirds on the shirt and saying, oh, do you have that? Yes, you do. Oh, I love pollinators. And I'm standing, I was starting to feel a little self-conscious. I mean, it was, it was embarrassing, actually. <laughs> you know, it's amazing. Um, the conversations you'll start when you wear something with bees on it. Uh, I've had more conversations on airplanes because I had a shirt on that had something to do with bees or the bee club I belong to uh, than you can than you can imagine. And people will start the conversation with you. They'll come up and say, uh, "Are you a beekeeper?" Or and like you, you know, I'd poll- you know that you that you are pushing pollinator week. That's good. So, uh, lesson to be learned here. You want to do some advertising. You know, shout out loud. Wear a shirt with your club name on it or a picture of a bee. Yeah. Or a pollinator. The, the shirt I like that I've seen you wear is, it's just a white t-shirt and it says, this is my bee suit. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> that, that was a good one. All right. Well, welcome to Pollinator Week, folks. Um, and and go out to the, we'll be talking to the Pollinator Partnership folks here in a few moments. And uh, I encourage you to go out to the pollinator.org to find out more about how you can participate in the Pollinator Week activities. Uh, Kim, last August, we had on the show the folks from the Good Food Awards. And they have their honey, uh, there's an open honey submissions now, right? Yeah. And you still got a little bit of time. Um, Go to their webpage and, and, Take a look at the rules and regs and uh, how to prepare your honey and how to get it out to them. And don't waste any time. As soon as the show's over, go out and get started on this because you don't have a whole lot of time. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to try and get mine in this year, Jeff. Oh, good. Well, good luck to you. Yeah, the, 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 I think it's open till the end of this month, end of June of 2021. And uh, we had uh, an audio postcard from the Good Food Award people on last week's episode. So you can go back and listen to that. And also in this uh, week's episode, we have the um, URL and information, additional information for the Good Food Awards and Honey submissions. So check out our show notes, check out the Good Food Awards website and submit your honey and let us know if you submit and if you win. Yeah. And if you win, share. Also, Kim, we started this month, uh, or actually earlier in June, uh, into May, we started adding transcripts to our show and uh, really hope that folks, some folks find them useful and, and can use them uh, as soon as they can. Yeah, they make listening easier if you want to read along, certainly for people who are hearing impaired or people who missed part of it or um, need to go back and try and figure out exactly what they what the people were talking about, they're just useful in a lot of different ways. Yeah. 
Yeah. Um, let us know what you think. Uh, it's the, through the support of our sponsors and your support of the sponsors uh, in return that helps give us the ability to provide those transcripts. So check them out today. And finally, before we get to our interview with the Pollinator Plus people, we did send out some mugs several weeks ago to nine people who heard the message at the end of our one of the episodes. They should have them by now, shouldn't they? Well, from what I've heard, some of them didn't make it. Yeah, I think. Uh, rough handling along the way, but the, most of them made it, and I'm hoping they're showing them off. Yeah, yeah, please show them off on social media. Take a picture uh, with you out in your apiary, enjoying your favorite beverage, beverage in, in our coffee mug, and tag us, tag the Beekeeping Today podcast in your, in your post, and uh, let us know you're enjoying them. All right. Bingo. Yeah, that's great. All right, Kim, let's uh, get on with our interview and our celebration of our fourth year and the celebration of Pollinator Partnership with our interview with Kelly and Miles. But first, a quick word from our friends at Strong Microbials. Hello, beekeepers. Your honeybees face a lot of challenges out there. Unbalanced food sources from monoculture crops, holding yards, drought, food shortages, antibiotics, pesticides, and pathogens like chalk brood. To overcome these challenges, your bees need the multiple bacteria that are in all nectars, pollens, and the environment. These bacteria aid honeybees' digestion and improve your honeybees' response and resilience to pesticides. Now you can help improve your honey colony health with a quick, easy, and safe-to-use product. Strong Microbial's Super DFM Honeybee uses naturally occurring bacteria to restore the healthy gut biome of your honeybees. Check them out today at www.strongmicrobials.com. And while you're on the Strong Microbial site, be sure to subscribe to their newsletter, The Hive, and receive regular updates and information. Hey, everybody. Welcome back. Sitting with us now across the virtual Zoom table are Kelly Rourke and Miles Dakin from the Pollinator Partnership. Welcome, Kelly, and welcome, Miles, to Beekeeping Today podcast. Thank you, Jeff. Thanks, Kim, for having us. Yeah, nice thanks. to see you. Nice to see you again, Kelly. Nice to meet you, Miles. Nice to meet you both. Miles, did I pronounce your name right? As soon as I said that it, I said correct. Okay, good, good, good. All right. Yeah. Good. I don't have to edit that out. That's great. <laughs> Well, you know, this is a fantastic and exciting show for us beekeeping today. Uh, and, and Kelly, you know this. And Miles, you're going to learn this. Uh, this episode marks the beginning of the Beekeeping Today podcast fourth year. We've we're, This is, I think, about a show, 125. And, uh, you know, and it's, it's, it's great to recognize it with the Pollinator Partnership and part of that, um, I don't know, tradition we've started here. Yes. Yeah, they were on the f first show, weren't they, Jeff? Oh yes, Amber Amber Barnes was on. I think is Amber still at Pollinator Partnership? Yes, she is. Amber is our wildlife conservation ecologist, and yes, she she I believe talked about Pollinator Week as well as some of our Monarch um, programs back three years ago. So, uh, happy anniversary to the Beekeeping Today podcast. Well, thank you. Thank you. <laughs> We've we've gotten marginally better since our first episode, so we're we're excited. We're excited. We're here this today. <laughs> <laughs> 
that we're still here today, Jeff. Yeah, we're still here, <laughs> still here, and and uh, and and really happy to be here, actually. So, Pollinator Partnership, Kelly, you're while you've been at Pollinator Partnership, and I'll go back and forth from saying Pollinator Partnership to the acronym of P two. So, for our listeners, uh, I, I use that interchangeably. You've changed roles at Pollinator Partnership. You want to talk about that a little bit? Yeah, absolutely. So I have been at Pollinator Partnership for over eight years. I actually started as an intern in our San Francisco uh, headquarters office. And I now, um, as of May 1st, have been promoted to executive director. So I've I've held many roles, many positions here. Um, just, you know, obviously cherish this relationship and this um, this this position very, very um, strongly. And, um, you know, we have such a great team at Pollinator Partnership. You know, Miles Dakin is our bee family farming coordinator. You'll hear from him in a bit. Um, we do still have um, Lori Davies Adams, who was our former president yes. and CEO, who really has championed not just pollinator partnership, but pollinators in general, um, you know, really brought them to the forefront of conservation issues for over two decades. Um, so she's still with us, uh, heading up some of our key initiatives, which is wonderful. Um, but yes, I'm really happy to take on this new leadership position. It's been very exciting and very busy. <laughs> I bet. Well, congratulations for sure. Congratulations, Kelly. So I guess the third time we've talked to Pollinator Partnership, um, it's Pollinator Week. Tell us, can you tell us, you guys are got your fingers in everything pollinator during Pollinator Week, I know, but there's some highlights that uh, we'd like to bring up. But can you give me an overview of what, what your group is doing during Pollinator Week? I know you've got special projects going on. Mm -hmm. Yeah, absolutely, Kim. So, so just quickly, Pollinator Partnership, for those who don't know, our website is pollinator.org. Um, and we work to protect all pollinator species. So the honeybee and then a lot of our native pollinators as well, um, as well as their habitat. So the native plants and um, different, you know, working lands that su can support pollinators. So um, Pollinator Week is one of our most favorite programs. Uh, it's one of our key initiatives. Actually, this year marks 15 years of Pollinator Week. It's very exciting. Um, yes. And um, so we, you're right. We do a lot of different things during this week and leading up to this week. So um, we launch each year an annual poster uh, that we highlight during Pollinator Week, which Miles is going to talk about a bit. The theme this year is Pollinators in Agriculture. Um, we also do a t-shirt campaign, which Jeff is wearing one today, and it's fantastic. It shows the, the world of pollinators and all the diversity that are, um, you know, pollinators around the globe. Um, we also do um, some more kind of standard annual events. Um, so we typically do a um, congressional briefing each year, which is, a, you know, a bit more policy focused for the Hill staff. And um, that's supported by the um, uh Congressional Pollinator Protection Congressional Caucus, um, which is co-chaired um, by Representative um, Andy Davis and uh, Jimmy Panetta. 
So um, we're really excited to do another Hill briefing this year. It's going to be virtual for the first time, which will be interesting, but I think it'll be fun and hopefully we'll reach a lot more people that way. Um, we also do, um, in terms of kind of policy and, and legislation, we also reach out to um, the governors of each state to request proclamations for Pollinator Week. Um, I think we we're, we're, we definitely have more than last year. It was a little bit of a challenge during COVID-19 to get to the governors. Obviously, they have a lot to um, to deal with currently. But in the past, we've been successful in getting um, all 50 state governors to proclaim Pollinator Week. We also get proclamations from the uh, Secretary of Agriculture and the Secretary of the Interior and the Administrator of the EPA. So it's a lot of people coming together to show their support for pollinators, um, you know, voice the importance of pollinators and just to celebrate them. Um, Actually, this year we redid our website, which was really fun for us. And um, on there, we prevent a lot of educational resource materials for people to get involved. So we actually created a cookbook this year, which is was a new fun thing for us. Um, we have an events map where people can uh, pin their own events on a map and, and others can find and participate. Um, and this year, we're also doing some Facebook Live events of our own that we're going to encourage people to come and join. So those will be fun fun as well. Kelly, for those um, proclamations, uh, do you guys provide like a like a standard form that people can use and then, you know, maybe make some changes to reflect local uh, needs and issues and then send it to their governor. So you've got that. Is that on your webpage? Yes, exactly. So on our website, pollinator.org backslash pollinator dash week, um, we have a section for proclamations and we actually provide a script if you wanted to call your governor or write your governor and ask for a proclamation. And then we provide the actual proclamation language that can then be, you know, easily edited by the, the governor's office itself to just just to make it easy for everyone to get that done. Easy is always good. <laughs> Does the site list those states which recognize Pollinator Week? Yes, they do. Fantastic. So we we actually sometimes they send us, uh, you know, physical copies of the proclamations. They're actually quite <laughs> beautiful with, you know, official seals and ribbons and all of that. Um, so we scan those and get those all up on our website for everyone to share and enjoy. That's fantastic. And I was going to ask on the congressional briefing, is that open to the public it, since it's virtual? How's that work? So it is it is primarily focused towards uh, federal agency staff and Hill staff. So it's it really is trying to target, you know, those policymakers and inform, you know, that that can inform uh, different legislation and, and things like the Farm Bill or the you know Endangered Species Act, things like that. Um, but it is really a, an event that anyone can join within the capacity of the of the virtual meeting. Yeah, that sounds great. Uh, um, you mentioned the poster, and and when you mentioned the poster, you mentioned Miles, who's who's working with the Bee Friendly Farming people. Um, what's your role in Bee Friendly Farming, Miles? Yeah, so it's great to be here. Um, so I am the Bee Friendly Farming Coordinator, um, and I joined P2 almost exactly a year ago today. So Pollinator Week seems to be the uh, the time where where great people get working on awesome projects. Um, <laughs> so. I, uh, so I, yeah, so I kind of, um, am really the main hands-on person with the program. Um, I'm based in Davis, California, and, um, my role is kind of, um, well, it's, it's, uh, 
many different things, but a part of it is um, working directly with growers on, you know, habitat installation, um, helping them get certified in the program. Um, and then also having big conversations with, um, you know, buyers of these products and um, companies that are looking at sustainability initiatives and, and ways that they can encourage their network of, of producers to get, um, you know, bee-friendly certified. So our program um, is, is sort of, uh, our program centers on um, pollinator habitat. So growers are required to have uh, 3% of their land as pollinator forage. Um, and that can be both uh, temporary or permanent forage. So it can be cover crops or um, hedgerows or other natural areas or a combination of it all. And they have to provide clean water sources for um, pollinators. Um, and then also um, practice integrated pest management and have to be following these best management practices to um, support pollinators um, in their operations. It sounds like you're on the road a lot. Uh, sometimes, yeah. Obviously, with COVID, we were uh, you know, restricted in, in a lot of capacity. Um, but since things have gotten a little bit more open, um, uh, working this year has been um, a lot of work with almond producers. Um, my background is in almond pest management. And so um, we've spent a lot of this year working really closely with the almond industry um, in the Central Valley. And so last year we certified about 55,000 acres of almonds um, and uh, we're definitely going to blow past that easily this year. That's a lot of, that's a lot of almonds. Uh, so you said you help people get certified. So when somebody comes to you and says, okay, what do I have to do? And you lay down the rules and, and, and guidelines for them. And then they get back to you and say, okay, I've done this. How, how do, do you go out and take a look? Yes. So our application is uh, remote. Um, it's uh, so if a grower fills out our application, they upload pictures of their habitat, answer a pretty um, maybe 40 or so questions and can upload farm maps, and then we assess them remotely. Um, if a grower doesn't meet the criteria, um, we don't just uh, straight out reject them. What we'll do is we'll open a conversation with them, learn more. Um, it might be a situation where I'll take a field visit and talk with them about ways that they can meet the criteria. Um, but uh, for the most part, when I'm out in the field, it is with those growers who aren't yet ready to be certified. And it's really... Te providing technical assistance in terms of finding areas to plant habitat, what are good plants for their area, and then also connecting them with other partners of ours for um, plant material uh, resources, um, if it's cost share programs or uh, just even just plant availability uh, and plant material. And and then I think there's a recertification uh, process also. And it's, it sounds like you're going to be doing it the same thing. It's going to be, as you put it, remote. Mm -hmm. So at the end of was I think it's three years, they they essentially re up. Yeah. So every three years, there's a compliance uh, component and a compliance requirement, and um, essentially the growers have to upload um, pictures from the past three years, uh, farm maps again, any changes that have happened to their habitat over the last three years, and then those compliance forms are actually audited by our bee friendly farming task force, which is. Um, out of our uh, out of the North American Pollinator Protection Campaign or NAPSI, and um, we have a task force of about a dozen or so experts in you know both agriculture and pollinator conservation, and members of you know USDA and other um, 
government agencies. And so this task force will then audit those compliance forms. Um, and then a subset of those will get uh, either in-person or digital um, or remote uh, interviews, essentially. Well, it sounds sounds like, it, I'm going to say keeping people honest, but it, keep keeping the program going, uh, which is good. And, and one of the things you just mentioned that really made a lot of sense is working with people who are buying from farmers to convince them to become bee-friendly farmers um, or I'll maybe go someplace else. That's a, a, a it's a excellent idea. Yeah, we are seeing that more and more um, with pretty large buyers, especially of almonds, but other groups as well. Um, and we're we're seeing a lot of these sort of um, either direct incentive programs that are happening or uh, public statements about where they're going to buy their their produce or or um, almonds or other crops from. Better Bee is pleased to sponsor today's episode of Beekeeping Today podcast. For over 40 years, Better Bee has supplied beekeepers across the country with the tools, equipment, and knowledge needed to succeed. Because many Better Bee employees are beekeepers themselves, they understand your needs and challenges and are better prepared to answer your beekeeping questions. From their colorful catalog to their support of beekeeper educational activities, including this podcast, Better Bee truly lives up to their tagline of beekeepers serving beekeepers. See for yourself at betterbee.com. There was a, there was a, um, I think it was a, I just saw it on some new show. Some, some nut and candy company just switched to almond growers who were bee friendly farmers, and and they were making a lot of noise about it because it was a good thing for them, good thing for their customers, good thing for the grower. Uh, so I can see where that would be a really good. Uh, example of you using that to go to some of your other suppliers, not the growers, the suppliers, and say, "Look at the attention you can get um, by conforming by getting your growers to conform to these sorts, this set of guidelines." Good idea. Yeah, I think you hit the nail on the head with that. You know, it's a it's a great way to get a lot of growers excited about it. How many bee friendly farmers are there um, within the bee friendly farming? Uh, program we have bee friendly farming certified that is our kind of flagstone um that's really what we've talked about this entire time mm -hmm. we do have bee friendly farming garden which is a new category that we launched last year um, and that's a way for homeowners and community gardens to get involved um non-commercial operations essentially so um including all of them um we're right around 200 or so members mm -hmm. um like i said uh earlier Last year, we certified about 70,000 acres of farmland total, um, and about 55,000 of those were almonds. And then this year, we've already blown past 35,000 acres um, just in the first four months. You also have something called a bee partner. Yeah, so Bee Friendly Farming Partner is um, a way for, well, it's, it's kind of two different subcategories. It's a way for um, companies that want to sponsor the program to get involved. Um, so maybe companies that aren't um, they don't own any land. They're not managing any habitat, but they still want to support the program. So that would be Bee Friendly Farming Partner. And then within that, we actually have um, an apiarist category as well. So any beekeepers that aren't um, managing their own habitat, if they're storing their bees on someone else's land, um, they can still be part of the program as well. So to be a bee partner, then um, would that company that I just mentioned, who's now buying 
almonds only f- exclusively from bee-friendly almond growers. Would that would that organization be a bee partner? And and would you recognize them as such? Yeah, that that's a good question. We are. I I think I know which company you're talking about, and we are currently in in conversations with them about um, a for, more formal partnership. What we're seeing is we're seeing a lot of these companies that are coming up with these programs actually on their own. Um, it's something that they want to do for their own sustainability initiatives. And so we're at the point now where we're trying to open the lines of communication with them and get a little bit more involved hands-on. So um, that is definitely something that's in the works. Um, we do have some bee-friendly farming partners. We have, um, as one example, we have a, a, an almond butter company in California that actually sources their almond butter, all their almonds from a bee-friendly farm. Um, and so they did join as a formal partner so they can use that logo on their product. Another way to another way to tell their customers that they're doing the right thing all the way down just in the United States? No. So uh, we're in uh, the U.S. and Canada um, just because of pollinator partnership. And then uh, recently, just in uh, last month, we launched Bee Friendly Farming Australia uh, in partnership with the Wean Bee Foundation there. So the um, Wean Bee Foundation will be overseeing all on the groundwork. They'll have their own Bee Friendly Farming Australia task force, um, and then we'll work in collaboration to keep the programs synced with each other. So it's a great partnership. We're really, really excited. Uh, there's already been a lot of conversation and a lot of excitement for it. Um, and so it's just another way to grow the program. Oh, nice. And you have a real nice green logo and placard and stickers and everything that the bee friendly farmer and I assume the partner also have access to, correct? Exactly. Yeah. So any bee friendly farming certified grower can use the logo on their own packaging material. Um, and, uh, you know, if it's even just at the farmer's market, they can put a little sign up or we, we do also have our bee friendly farming certified signs so they can put them in their um, orchards or in their fields and, and get some recognition that way as well. Fantastic. I think if I was living in Australia, Jeff, I'd be growing manuka and raising manu- bee-friendly manuka honey <laughs> and selling it for a fortune. <laughs> <laughs> well, uh, what have we missed on bee-friendly farming, Miles? I think that, you know, that covers a lot of it. Um, it's, a, it's a really, really awesome program. Um, we're seeing just so much excitement and conversation around it. And, uh, you know, we're, we're seeing thousands of acres of pollinator forage going into places that really didn't have it much. So it's, it's just been a great year and uh, looking forward to this next year of uh, progress. Excellent. Excellent. Just one thing. The last time we talked to you guys, Ron Bittner was uh, the person talking about bee-friendly farming, and I've known Ron for quite a while, so I'm just going to tip my hat and say, hi, Ron, while I'm here. <laughs> and and uh, Kelly, uh, you've got something about monarch wings, and from what I'm hearing, the monarchs in California took it on the nose this year? Yes, that's true. So, um, yeah, we, we've been working on, you know, monarch conservation for a number of years now. We've, we've worked actually with Kim, um, on our, where, where it all started really in, in Ohio. So we had monarch wings across Ohio, um, which was kind of a, a network of, of habitat and research plots, um, to focus on, um, 
supporting and doing some research on the central flyway, so the eastern and central migration of, um, of the monarch butterfly. And now more recently, we're shifting focus, as Kim mentioned, you know, the monarch butterfly western population, um, which overwinters in the central coast of California, is, is really, really in, in dire need of help. Um, this past overwintering count, they had you know, just around 2000 individual butterflies counted that number, you know, could be a little bit off, but I think, um, regardless, there's a real need, especially with climate change and warming temperatures and fires and everything going drought and everything going on in California, there's definitely a real need to support them. Um, so we actually started, uh, Monarch Wings Across California, uh, which is part of our overarching, um, Monarch program. Um, it actually started very small and has since grown, which we're very happy about. Um, we started with three smaller um, location plots that uh, were habitat plots to, again, do some research, try to figure out a bit more about what is happening where and where the monarchs are going when and, and what their habitat needs are. Um, there's a lot more questions and unknowns about the Western population just because it's smaller and it's um, a little less studied. And um, I think climate is really throwing a wrench in a lot of in a lot of the research as well. So um, the whole goal is really to establish long-term habitat plots for the migrating monarchs. So we're not really focusing on the overwintering grounds. We're focusing on the migratory pathways. Um, we want to create a better understanding for the migration patterns and the forage requirements for California butterflies. Um, and then we're also collecting data. Um, on the actual restoration efforts itself to look at um, what there may be some pollinator or monarch preferences in terms of plant species and um, different configurations of, of habitat. So um, we've been really lucky this past couple of years to be working um, on a grant that was funded by the Wildlife Conservation Board in California. And we now are working on three large scale efforts in Merced County, which is right in the San Joaquin Valley, which is definitely a priority area of critical need for more habitat for monarchs. So really exciting. Um, definitely uh, you know, a sad situation with the monarchs, but it's we're really happy to be involved in and doing some great work there. You mentioned you mentioned um, you're not working so much with overwintering, but uh, looking for habitat on the migratory routes. Is that going to extend beyond California? Yeah. Studying those routes, mm -hmm. where do where do monarchs who overwinter in California come from? So they come from basically uh, up near Jeff, actually. Uh, they come from Washington, um, Idaho, Oregon, Utah, Nevada, and actually even Arizona as well. So they're all kind of um, in the western uh, U.S. coming over to the central coast of California, basically from just north of uh, San Francisco Bay down to about Los Angeles. Hmm. Well, you mentioned fires as being a, an issue, and I can see yeah. why. Wow. Yeah, monarchs are definitely a, a fragile species. I mean, all pollinators are really indicator species when it comes to things that may be going wrong or right. You know, if they're in decline or in trouble, it's kind of a first sound of the alarm that something's going wrong. So, um, yeah, we're we're, you know, there's a lot of scientists now working on this and concerned about it, which is wonderful. Um, still some unknowns, you know, if the Western population um, itself may go extinct or if just the migration 
may be in peril. So um, there's kind of a big debate about that right now. You, you know, if monarchs may actually become more resident populations, more like a garden butterfly um, that doesn't mi- actually migrate. So we'll see. Hmm. There's a lot to find out. So, Miles, I can see that you're encouraging some of your bee-friendly farmers to plant those things that are going to enhance uh, butter uh, monarch migration. I, you can probably nudge a little bit in that direction every time. Yeah, definitely. Um, you know, the monarch is a great charismatic uh, pollinator. A lot of people know it and love it. And so it's it's very good to to be used as that kind of entryway into pollinator conservation. Um, and, you know, agriculture is already familiar with milkweed. Um, it's a it's a fairly it was at one point a fairly <laughs> common species. And so I think it's, a you know, people know about milkweed and they know kind of the importance that's that's around milkweed. Um, and, you know, what's good for monarchs is good for all these other pollinators already. And so, um, yeah, it's, it's definitely a good, useful tool. And also there's a lot more availability now of milkweed, of native milkweed in California, especially. Um, and so we're working with some really great partners um, like Great Valley Seed Company and other plant uh, production companies in California that are producing native plant material. And we're able to get that into the hands of our growers uh, fairly quickly. Solving two problems with one planting. How 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 <laughs> convenient. <laughs> well, uh, Kelly, you've also got something here about solar, and I'm guessing what that is 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 you're looking at uh, the the solar panel fields that are springing up everywhere. We just got one. We're getting. Uh, we just got an announcement in Ohio. The the people who make. About half of the panels in the U.S. is starting another factory here, so we're going to have lots of it here. And and what's your relationship with this? Yeah, so um, there's been a lot of um, talk about actually putting uh, co-locating pollinator habitat with solar arrays. So um, we have gotten pretty involved with this in um, basically consulting with um, solar developers as well as um power purchasers like community choice aggregators or CCAs um, and other industry groups to help kind of um, understand and encourage the co-location of pollinator habitat. There's a lot of benefits that can be rewarded both by the developers as well as um, to the ecosystem that the they arrays in, and then in turn also for the general community um, in terms of beautification and and um, different educational opportunities as well. So um, what we're doing is basically um, helping to come up with a native or a mix of native and non-native uh, seed mixes that can be planted underneath the arrays. Um, so underneath the solar panels and um, and also in kind of perimeter plantings as well, depending on the climate, um, you know, these types of operations can take place anywhere in the U.S. And of course, as we talked about in California, there's a lot of different habitat needs and, and restrictions and, and capabilities for the different areas. So we're helping to help the industry kind of navigate that. Um, it's really beneficial and important for them as it helps with um permitting and um, community buy-in. You know, this is a a real benefit that the community sees. Um, Instead of having, you know, bare ground or gravel or turf grass, we're putting in beautiful, you know, mixtures of of native um, 
perennials, annuals, and native grasses that can support pollinators and other wildlife. So it's really, really exciting. Um, it's definitely a very new and novel approach. So there's, again, lots to learn, but um, it's getting a lot of attention and we're really excited about that. Yeah, I can see, I can see uh, a field full of solar panels and flowers as being much more attractive than solar panels and gravel. Mm -hmm. uh, and much more useful also. When we had the folks from Ernst Seeds on several years ago, was it last year? might have been last year during Pollinator Week, but I'm not sure. Anyways, they that was one of their programs also was to, to provide the planting for the so large commercial solar arrays. And that it does make a big difference in terms of how those arrays look. Yeah, yeah. So, and Ernst, I believe, also focuses on um, supporting grazing in the arrays as well. So, mainly with sheep. Um, so, there's different uh, grazing seeding mixes that you can use that can also help um, that help support grazing, um, which is another thing that um, solar developers are looking for because they need to hit an agricultural um, kind of component on their permit because the the kind of Complexity of the issue is that a lot of agricultural land is being taken out of production to put these solar farms in. Um, so if they are still supporting agriculture, um, you know, by way of grazing, uh, pollination services, you can actually put bee beehives on the um, in the arrays as well. Um, so you're getting better pollination services to the adjacent lands. Um, and there's also actually benefits to the actual habitat because they're native plants. We know that native plants have deep root systems and um, they don't require as much water. You know, they're fit for the climate that they're that they're in. So it can actually help decrease the operations and management budget for the solar developers as well in terms of mowing and things like that. What about wind farms? Are there any plans to look at wind farms and are there any similarities? It seems like there would be. Yeah, it's a little different, but there's definitely something to be to be done there. There's definitely collaboration that we can do. Um, the, the wind farms are interesting because um, it's the same thing. You know, it's, it's big swaths of land that we can yeah. improve, certainly. Um, there's also an issue with some wind farms in mortality of bats and birds from the turbines. So this can help kind of offset that if you're creating some habitat as well. Yeah, you don't want to say, you know, kill a bird, feed a bee. <laughs> but <laughs> that's kind of kind of kind of well it's a good way it's a good balance you know it's there's there's some there's some downsides but you're definitely making up for it yeah well, well i think you know oftentimes what we think about is that is there a net positive in yeah. what we're doing right and um you know as long as there's progress it doesn't have to be perfect but you know as long as there's incremental progress i think that's a win yeah I wouldn't have thought of putting bees on a solar array, but but as big as some of those are, you could probably the one I saw in one of my travels recently was big enough to probably support eight or ten hives easily. So, um, and and nobody's going to disturb you, right? And it's pretty, you know, really good habitat, really good forest, yeah. it's safe, it's clean, you know, yeah, it's fenced in, so you're not going to get knocked over by anything, and. <laughs> Yeah, I think it's a good, good option. And there, and there's probably some what's privacy, some security there, because the owners don't want just anybody wandering in and and tilting panels the the wrong way or anything. So, uh, kind of a win-win for a beekeeper if you can find one of those. Mm -hmm. I, I would think, yeah. 
Kelly, what have we missed? Well, I think another thing that we wanted to just touch on since it is Pollinator Week is our poster, which is uh, the Pollinators and Agriculture poster, which really segues and ties very nicely with our bee friendly farming program. So, so you, some of you may have seen our posters that we put out each year. They each have a different theme. Um, we've done some about the ecosystem services that pollinators support. We've done endangered pollinators. We've done really kind of more funky things like uh, carnivorous plants or native orchids, some more specific things. But this year, it's all about agriculture. Um, and maybe I'll let Miles talk a little bit about kind of the different components and what, you know, the educational piece of it is. Yeah, the poster is amazing. It's it's a very beautiful. Um, I have it on the wall behind me here. And uh, it really lays out a scene of what a small uh, bee-friendly farm could look like. Um, it's got uh, really great examples of a, of a handful of our native pollinators. Um, it's got uh, different types of bees, um, hoverflies, and beetles, um, which are often kind of overlooked as pollinators. Um, and then it also talks about some of these key best management practices uh, like integrated pest management and different types of habitat and water sources. Um, it's got a, an awesome little graphic in the corner that also demonstrates uh, the importance of uh, continual bloom of different species of plants throughout the year um, and sort of how you might go about designing your habitat to incorporate those different bloom timings. Um, we have uh, the physical copies available on our website for purchase. And then we also have a digital version that's actually interactive where you can click on these different uh, pieces and learn more about each of those individual pieces from the, the species of pollinators to the practices themselves. That's a great, great poster. That's a good idea, having an interactive poster like that. Yeah, I like that. Mm -hmm. And this this poster was actually the artist, his name is Hugo Salias, and he is from Spain, actually, from Valencia. So that was a first for us is working with someone interna international, but it turned out just amazing. So we're really happy about it. And I can still get one? Yes, yes. We have a plenty stock here in our office, and uh, we can send those out to people. Um, and I was just going to add that, you know, Miles brought up the bloom chart, which is obviously a key part of, you know, pollinator habitat. And we also have another resource that came out recently, kind of a series of resources called our recipe garden cards. And these can be found at our website as well, pollinator.org. And these are supposed to be really, you know, kind of simple, digestible um, they're just two-page little cards um, for each region of the United States. And so we have, uh, I believe, about eight regions out right now. And then um, coming out this week for Pollinator Week, we have three more regions that it will be released. Um, they give a list of at least 12 species of native plants that will be good for your area and some tips about um, kind of just planting uh, pollinator habitat. Those are real handy. I had uh, someone contact me, actually, a friend who lives up in Vermont and said, hey, Jeff, I know you are into bees. I have some land here and I want to plant some pollinator. I want to plant a big pollinator garden. What do I plant? And I'm like, I I don't know. But your pollinator recipe cards, is, is that right? The pollinator garden recipe cards is a great resource that uh, I was able to send him to and, and uh, he's take, making use of it. So. Thank you for that resource. Saved me. <laughs> well, that's great. Thanks for sharing it. <laughs> yeah. Well, Kelly and Miles, this is this has been really great. And you know, this is so much to cover. You guys do so much. You 
you and your team, guys, uh, collectively, um, do such great work. And and we are always excited to welcome you back, both in Pollinator Week and anytime during the year anything comes up that you would like to uh, get back on the, the podcast and talk to us about. Um, and we look forward to having you back next year. As we start our fifth year. <laughs> we do. Kelly, again, congratulations. Yes. Miles, it was nice to meet you, and I hope we can talk more about bee-friendly farming. Absolutely. Thank you so much for having us. Yep. Thank you. Happy Pollinator Week, everyone, and happy anniversary to be keeping today's podcast. Thanks so much for having us. Thank you very much. See you soon. Bye. Bye. Hey, Kim, it was great to have Kelly and Miles uh, on the show today. Kicking off our fourth year on the podcast with Pollinator Partnership again is, I don't know, it's, that, I like your tradition. I'm not always big on traditions, but that's one I'd like to keep going. It is. And and uh, uh, different voices every year, but yeah. from the same group. And they got different stories and different topics that they specialize in. So they're a good group to work with. There's no doubt about it. I, I enjoy certainly the uh, bee-friendly farming part of it. That's Plants are more are as much about my background as yeah. bees are. So, hearing hearing what they're doing and how they're doing, it, and then they're capitalizing on it. But they're making that they're making the people who are selling the products try and encourage the people who are growing their products to become bee friendly farming. That way, both of them uh, have something to have something to uh, brag about to their customers. So, um, good technique. Yeah, it is. Uh, I'm surprised you're not wearing a bee friendly farmer hat. <laughs> Miles had that nice one on. I might have to go out and order that. It's, I like that logo. Yes, yes. Well, happy anniversary, Kim. Yep, it's been a good three years, Jeff. I'm, I'm, I don't know if we'll make it three more, but uh, oh yeah, we that, will. That's the that's the plan anyway. We We're have all around. all this new technology we got to see through and and see come to life that we've talked about in all of our shows, and it'll be fun. We want to encourage people to ask questions. If yep. we don't know the answers, we'll find somebody who does. Uh, and uh, check out uh, Honey Bee Obscure with myself and Jim, too, which is a, a different different kind of program. It's just Jim and I talking about some kind of problem. So something to keep you busy when you're out keeping bees. There you go. That's a great uh, Honey Bee Obscure, as we've said, is a great show. I encourage our listeners to go take a look. Well, that about wraps it up for this special anniversary episode. Before we go, I want to encourage our listeners to rate us five stars on Apple Podcasts or wherever you download and stream the show. Your vote helps other beekeepers find us quicker. Even better, write a review and let other beekeepers looking for a new podcast know what you like. You can get there directly from our website by clicking on reviews along the top of any web page. As always, we thank Bee Culture the magazine for American beekeeping for their continued support of the Beekeeping Today podcast. We want to thank our regular episode sponsor, Global Patties. Check them out at www.globalpatties.com. We also want to thank Strong Microbials for their support of the podcast. Check out their probiotic line at www.strongmicrobials.com. We want to thank Better Bee for joining us on this show. Check out all their great beekeeping supplies at www.betterbee.com. And finally, and very most importantly we want to thank you the beekeeping today podcast listener for joining us on this show feel free to send us questions and comments at questions at beekeepingtodaypodcast.com we'd love to hear from you if you don't want to type you can go to our website and click on that little blue microphone icon in the lower right hand corner and you can leave us a voicemail 
Anything else you want to mention, Kim? No, I think that does it, Jeff. It's um, another good year and another good show. Yeah, fantastic. I agree. Don't drink all that champagne at one sitting. (laughs) All right. Take care. Take care. Thanks, everybody.